Welcome in to a Monday morning edition of the Locked On Knicks podcast. I'm your host, Gavin Shaw, going solo after a 113 to 110 victory over a Washington Wizards team that was maybe trying to lose, but we won't let that dampen our enthusiasm because the game featured another outstanding performance from Mario Hazonia, career-high 30 points from him at the point guard position. More Mitchell Robinson doing Mitchell Robinson things. Moments of flash from Kevin Knox and Dennis Smith Jr. in his comeback from injury. And finally, we'll finish talking about a poll that suggests Kevin Durant is going to the New York Knicks. Funny how we always seem to talk about that. That next on Locked On Knicks. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Knox foul from behind. Kevin at one. As Fisdale places Fisdale. What he does is contagious. Oh, Robinson with a catch and slam. Across the lane to Trier. Trier drives down. Because of infectious. are listening to Locked on Knicks, hopefully on the Himalaya podcast app, our favorite place to listen to Locked on Knicks. The Himalaya podcast app is one of the best out there for a number of reasons. It's free, first of all, which is kind of ideal. Uh, You can listen, obviously, while you're on your commute, while you're working out, while you're doing chores around the house, when you're eating lunch. And uh, there are a couple reasons why Himalaya in particular separates itself from the rest of the field. They allow you to play podcasts while you fall asleep. You can set a little timer and just doze off to bed with the dulcet tones of a Bill Simmons, a Zach Lowe, an Alex Wolf, a Gavin Shaw, perhaps, in your ears. They allow you to create your own playlist, and you can share those playlists with friends and family on Facebook, Twitter, Messenger, email. And they have a free podcast maker, so if you're feeling a little aspirational, you think you can do what we do, you think you can do it better than we can, you're probably right about that, you can start your own podcast on Himalaya. So that's pretty cool. All right, without further ado, let's get into it. Again, a 113-110 to victory for the New York Knicks over the Washington Wizards. It was a fun game. I'll start off with that. The Knicks struggled at points. They were down by 12, I think, with about 14 minutes left. But they sort of felt like the Wizards kind of pulled their horses a little bit at the end. I mean, that being a relative term because they're not very good to begin with, but they did not play Bradley Beal down the stretch and sort of put out a tanktastic lineup out there. But it's still, it's all about about small victories this season for the New York Knicks. And this game featured plenty of them, uh, most notably the continued excellent play of Mario Hazonia, who genuinely had the garden rocking in the fourth quarter. It was, it was legitimately exhilarating to watch him go and hit big shot after big shot finished with 30 points, six rebounds, five assists, two steals on 12 of 21 shooting was three of six from behind the arc. Only missed one of his four free throw attempts. Just another outstanding game for Mario who became, um, according to Mike Borkanov of the athletic, just the fourth Nick ever to have at least 16 points, six rebounds, and five assists in three straight games. So he was absolutely outstanding. And uh, after the game, or might have been, might have been this morning, he he had this quote that he was like, "All right, I'm ready to talk to Dolan." And like functionally said, if the Knicks are the first team to call him on July 1st, he's confident he will remain a New York Knick. 
Um, you'll remember if you listened to our last pod, which featured a mini mailbag, we had a last second question come in about Mario and his future viability as a member of the Knicks. Um, I wasn't as bullish as Alex on it just because um, I, I really think you have to see how the rest of free agency plays out. And I think uh, even after this great game, I'll still hold true to that unless the Knicks are just so high on his own after the last three games, which I think would be a little ridiculous as good as he played um, that that would totally change their perception of this guy who really wasn't very good. Most of the season still just shooting 40% for the year, but um, unless their perception was just completely shifted, I, I do think they're going to wait to see how the rest of free agency plays out, whether they get a Kevin Durant, whether they get a Kyrie Irving. And that gives you a better idea of what kind of role a Mario Hazonia could play on a team like that. Because I mean, presumably you get those two guys, at least in my mind, the idea would be to get as close to 48 minutes with one of those two on the court at all times as possible. And if you're going to do that, there are very small windows for a Mario Hazonia type to have the basketball. And you can um, certainly make an argument with his size. And I mean, some of the shooting he's shown off over the last three games, not over the course of the season, that maybe there would still be a spot for him and maybe you could find a way to fit into that. But if we've seen anything over the last three games is, is that he's at his best with the ball in his hands, not necessarily being selfish, not dribbling the air out of the basketball, not dominating it, looking for isolation scoring, but just in terms of being a playmaker, getting that feel and getting that confident confidence that's kind of inherent in being the lead ball handler in an offense. And I just don't think those opportunities would um, be readily available on a team featuring Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. So I still have some questions about his but I don't want to denigrate what he did in this game and what he's done the last three games because it's been absolutely awesome. It, it's honestly made three games that um, just objectively speaking, were totally unappealing to watch in terms of the prospect of the Knicks just sort of finishing off of what has been really a, a tough season to sit through at points. Um, he's, he's made it enjoyable and he, he had some really, really nice moments in this one. He had that steal uh, where Kevin Knox was running with him and Bradley Beal was back kind of trying to defend it. And he just like launched an alley-oop from between half court and the three point line. It was about like 30 feet out or so. And he just put it on, just put it on a dime for Knox. And that, that really got the garden going and then just down the stretch, he made play after play after play, Was had this combination of just pace and aggressiveness um, with about seven minutes left. It's just a ridiculous three guy on him, just gave a little jab step, didn't even dribble. A um, couple feet behind the arc, just launched a deep one. For anyone who's played basketball at a high level, certainly at a higher level than I've played it, like I think, I think you know. Like, that is legitimately, like, one of the hardest shots in the game. Like, obviously, people always talk about the three ball off the dribble, which is really, really difficult to get balanced. But off a jab step, too, you're not really in rhythm because you've almost been holding the basketball too long. And to get just to, just the athletic ability, and I think, in my mind, this is almost like Hizonia's most special quality, the ability to – I mean, if, I, think, I think part of it is just sheer physical strength, but to generate – explosiveness from a standing position. Like when you jab, you're a couple feet beyond the arc and you still have the strength to like shoot a three without much effort. I mean, that's like, again, like not at the same level, but that's like, that's the stuff like that prime Vince Carter used to do. And people would just look at it and like shake their head and be like, okay, like a human being shouldn't be able to do that. Like, and, and there was another play that was similar that I, I don't even think, um, knocks at the shot, but he had this one look where like off a pick and roll, he drew a double team 
and just sort of turned on a dime and threw a pass like across his body, across the court, got great velocity on it, hit Knox right in the chest. And it, it was, again, just one of those plays where you just see, like, like Kizonia, like, the reason why he was, like, a top-five pick is because he is something of a physical marvel. He's really, even, even though he's not, like, an elite, like, vertical athlete, which is something I talk about a lot on this show, he, he, is, he is special athletically, athletically in, in, in some ways, which kind of came as a surprise to me when I was just, like, when he was coming over and I was like, okay, like, he was, like, this guy with, like, a lot of swagger, but... I mean, he's pretty obviously sort of a bust. Uh, so that was great. Um, the last three hit to seal the, to pretty much seal the game was off a nice pass from DSJ. was really good. My favorite play with him on the night, and this is what we'll finish with, um, just because it wasn't it wasn't him too. It was a lot of it was Mitch, who we're going to talk more about in segment number two. Um, he ran a pick and roll with uh, Mitchell Robinson, and this was actually a really nice little set that I think uh, quite a few teams around the league run, and I see run in college a little bit too. Um, so he runs a pick and roll with Mitch, and then John Jenkins comes over and sets a back screen on Mitch's guy, and intuitively, like, my first thought when, like, I saw it live was, like, I saw the Jenkins screen in there, but I was like, okay, like, how did that play work? We shouldn't Jenkins guy have just gone over to corral Hizonia and wouldn't that have essentially like ended the play like where it started but you look and it's it's Mitch's gravity as a roller and he was he was doing this all game like and especially against a team like the uh, Wizards who don't have the best big man talent in the world like he's such a weapon he's already drawing a second defender so Jenkins guy essentially came over to clip Robinson and Hazonia was in, in such an aggressive attacking mindset and so explosive getting to the rim. By the time he came back over, his own year was, was already dunking. So that was just a really great moment. And uh, it, it, was, it was another excellent game for Mario Hazonia, who I think has let off this podcast now three consecutive games, which I never really would have imagined, uh, has a chance to finish the season on a high note against the Bulls and Pistons. Uh, we mentioned that stat at the top of the segment. Fourth Nick ever, 16 points, six rebounds, five assists in three straight games. One more time, and he will become the only Nick to do it in four straight. So something to watch out for next time, the next play. Um, and uh, we will talk about Mitchell Robinson next on Locked on Knicks. Welcome back into the Locked on Knicks podcast. Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Once again, as always, we hope you're listening to us on the Himalaya podcast app. If you're in your car or you have an Alexa, you can just uh, tell your smart device to play Podcast locked on Knicks, and uh, we should pop right up. All right, uh, let's get into it. Mitchell Robinson. Um, I I feel like this is like old hat. Like what what more is there to say about him? I I will give him a lot of credit in this game in particular because he played 38 minutes, which was one of his highest totals on the year, and, and not something even even post DeAndre Jordan. We really haven't seen him play this much that often and he really held up he was still rolling hard at the end of the game not necessarily one of those games where he was super involved offensively and and I mean obviously at this point like he's sort of that's just sort of the nature of his game he's basically just a rim runner and anything else he gets is offensive rebounds and you're not, you're not a guy you're throwing the ball to and saying create your own offense which certainly could come with time but still four for five from the field perfect three for three from the charity stripe um, including two big ones down the stretch um, in a fourth quarter where the Knicks outscored the Wizards 34-21, to finished with 11 points, 11 rebounds, and three blocks. Another really good stat 
courtesy of Tommy D. Um, put it, posted this one on Twitter um, that I found really compelling. Tweeted out that Mitchell Robinson and Luke Cornett combined for 37 contested shots in this game, including 11 contested threes, which I, I've said it a million times, but to me that's that's sort of the most amazing part about Mitch, just how utterly comfortable he is defending on the perimeter. Um, and between the two of them, uh, Robinson and Cornette, they combined for 28 points, 18 rebounds, 15 box outs, seven blocks, and five screen assist points, which I wonder, I mean, I, I mentioned, um, speaking of screen assist points, like that was essentially what Robinson got on that Hazonia dunk. That was perhaps the most obvious example of a screen assist where you literally draw the only help defender completely out of the picture and you let um, you let Mario Hazonia just walk in for a dunk. So just just another great example of the effect Robinson has on both ends, even when he is not directly getting a stat, whether it's a screen assist on offense or altering a shot defensively. He, I mean, I mean, there's a reason. I think it was we, we mentioned on the pod at the time. I think I believe it was Jeremy Cohen who had this stat, like of, and I'm not sure if this is still true. Probably worth looking into. Um, but it was something like the Knicks like only had like eight lineups with like a positive scoring margin all year. And Robinson was the only guy who was in, or might've been only three. It's three sounds more realistic because the Knicks had eight lineups that were in the plus, uh, they'd probably be a little bit of a better team. Um, but anyways, Robinson was basically the common denominator and the only common denominator of every Knicks lineup that had a positive net rating. And you see why, because again, he just affects the game in so many different ways, including from a momentum point of view, the very first play of the game, he caught a really nice lob from Kevin Knox and he just, he just defies gravity at points. He, he just like, he, he's one of those, it really is like a superstar quality. The guys who, who it seems like at the apex of their jump, you could just kind of walk around and take like 20 different pictures of it and they'd still be hanging up there and like look over at you and be like, did you get the shot? Okay. It, it just, it feels like he could have a cup of tea at the apex of his jump. And it, it, was, it was awesome. And then defensively comes right back, just absolutely destroys Bobby Portis, almost like swatting a fly on a drive. Thomas Bryan tried to bully him. Robinson basically like let him get to the rim and said, all right, you really want to try to shoot over me? Block that. And then absolutely like baptized Sam Decker on an alley-oop right in, right in his grill on the other end of the floor. It drew a nasty and sassy call from Clyde Frazier that was just summed it up perfectly. Um, had a play defensively where he just like casually broke up like a two-on-one. Like he was all by himself. Uh, one of the Wizards tried to throw a pass by him and like it, it might have hit his knee or might have hit like a wrist. But he he just has like this confidence at this point that he can just – throw his limbs in some direction, and the odds are pretty good they're going to collide with the basketball. And then uh, the final great Mitchell Robinson play of this game, uh, there was that one where um, I think it's a, it was Chasen Randall, uh, former Knicks legend, uh, Stanford great, uh, just blew by his guy, was going to get right to the rim. Mitch guarding a wizard in the opposite corner, already sort of leaning in the direction of help because he realizes he can recover to the corner because he's just that quick and that long if he needs to, and immediately comes over and just nails Randall. I mean, it was a testament to Randall like and how much force he put on the ball that like it somehow went off Robinson's hand and almost rattled in. 
but just another one of those plays that combines great instincts, great athleticism, and you just got the sense even before Randall like got by, like Robinson was inching in that direction. And sometimes we talk about that as a negative with him, like overhelping, and better bigs and better teams are able to leverage that and expose it a little bit. But just the fact that as a rookie, like he's already just so willing and able to cover up for teammates' mistakes, I I, I'll, I won't get over it for a while. It's really. It really is a special, special quality and one that you just don't see in a young player all that often. All right, uh, let's get into it with Kevin Knox. Um, He had four assists in the first quarter, which felt like it could have been a season high right off the bat for him. Only finished with five, um, part of the 16-7-5 line on a night where he was pretty good from two-point range, four for seven, pretty awful from three-point range, one for seven, did get to the free-throw line eight times, only hit five of them, which is less than ideal, but you like the aggressiveness, you like the ability to get to the line, and my favorite part of this game was just the unselfishness that he played with in the first quarter, kind of drew a help defender on like a scramble and made the extra pass, throwing into the corner to Luke Cornette for a three-ball, and then another one in the third um, where he drew a double, sort of reverse pivoted back and tossed it to Cornette. We already mentioned the lob that he threw to Robinson that I thought was just really nice timing on his part in the first quarter. And, and none of these are like transcendent passes. None of them, you, none of none of them you you see and you're like, oh, he's gonna be he's gonna be LeBron. He's gonna be Steve Nash. Like he's like that's not him. But it's just such a vast improvement from where he was all season, where he just missed these functional passes time after time after time. He was slow to recognize, slow to execute, and it let defenses kind of feast on the Knicks and take advantage because it's such a liability in the NBA to have just one guy on the court who can't make quick decisions because it, it really, it just sullies like so much work you do early in a possession to get a defense moving and to get a defense out of position. And if one guy pauses for that extra second, if he's not quite quick enough, it's death. It it means you're not going to be successful. It allows the defense to recover and all that effort you put in to get a defense out of position to get them scrambling. It's all for naught. So just the fact that Knox is making those passes now and he's, he's not great, but he's just not, he's not a total weak link either. At least in my mind, um, that really makes all the difference in the world. All right, we'll take one final break. We'll come back. We'll talk a little bit about Dennis Smith Jr., uh, close up some loose ends on the rest of the team, and uh, then we will uh, finish up talking about that poll done by The Athletic. That next on Locked on Knicks. Third and final segment of your Locked on Knicks podcast, I am your host, Gavin Shaw, wrapping up this solo edition talking about the Knicks-Wizards game. Um, it was a comeback effort. For Dennis Smith Jr., who scored 15 points and had five assists in 26 minutes, um, plus minus of zero, and that felt about right. He's obviously had some good moments, especially in the fourth quarter, hit like a nice little step back, hit a few big threes over the course of the third and fourth, um, threw like a dime to Hazonia on the game-winning shot, but I also didn't feel like he played a great game, and to be fair, he said he wasn't at 100% physically, he wasn't, yeah, he wasn't at 100% physically, um, David Fisdale um, had some comments after the game just about what kind of warrior he was and how inspiring it, w- it was that he was willing to fight through injury in what was essentially a meaningless game for the Knicks. And Smith was saying post game, like, yeah, you know, I just want to show my teammates like I'm there for them. I'm going to fight for them. And those are qualities you'd love to see. And I, I just for most of the night, though, I was I was pretty frustrated with him just because. 
Like one, like it, it, it kills me. Like when he has the ball at the end of quarters and he just holds on to it and like settles for like a step back jumper. Like it's what you saw like Carmelo Anthony do for years and years and years. Dennis Smith Jr. as as good as he could be. Um, he's no Carmelo Anthony. And like I, I'm, I guess I'm opposed to those plays philosophically. In general, I'm a big believer at the end of quarters, like run the offense you've been running the whole game and you'll find a way to get a good shot if you shoot it with seven seconds left instead of one as I'd almost I'd rather get the higher quality look versus settling for like a tough step back and like it's a little bit different if you have like a genuinely like transcendent one-on-one scorer Kevin Durant a Steph Curry a James Harden like I, I don't mind as much just because those guys are so practiced in those situations and they are usually savvy enough to go at the right time in terms of attacking the basket and if they draw help to make the right pass and do so at the right time that if it's going to create a sequence of ball movement, um, their team still has enough time to get a shot off. Um, when it's Dennis Smith Jr. doing it, it tends to frustrate me. I thought he missed some passes in this game, and like what really impressed us early about him when he came over for the Knicks was that he was so good at probing and then seeking guys out in the corners and across the court. And I, I think, again, a, a large part of it is probably just him being out of rhythm, but I, I don't think he's making a lot of the same passes that he was making when he first came over and, like, he, he did seem like kind of like the type of guy like with his speed and his vision that I, I mean this game again only played 26 minutes but if he is playing over 30 minutes a night like I don't think there's a reason he should have like less than like seven or eight assists most nights and like that's obviously contingent on talent and guys hitting shots but he should be making those passes every single night and I really I think he's missing a couple um I, I continue to be frustrated by the fact that I feel like um I really don't have like we, we have two games left and I just don't have much of a better feel for his game than I had when he was first traded over. But all in all, given all the factors and the way the game ended, uh, we'll, we'll call it a pretty good night for Dennis Smith Jr. I want to give quick uh, shouts to a couple other Knicks. Um, really great effort from Luke Cornett. 36 minutes, uh, team high, uh, tied with John Jenkins in this category, plus nine uh, for the game. Six for 11 from the field, four for eight from three. 17 points, seven rebounds, also had four blocks. Uh, yeah, it was just another really good game for Cornette. And, and the most impressive thing is that, and again, it's it's kind of the same qualifier game with the Hazonia stuff. Like like some of these games are coming in blowouts. Some of them are coming against the Wizards team that, I mean, when they're playing just their bench and they've traded away most of their starting lineup and John Wall is hurt and Bradley Beal is playing um, under 25 minutes. It's like you, you got you to gotta take everything with a grain of salt. Um, all that being said, uh, the fact that Cornette continues to be somewhat sustainable defensively next to Robinson, um, I mean, I, again, like I'd be, I think the Knicks are in a, in a bad way if Cornette's starting next to him next season, but assuming you keep Cornette and there are some injuries, I, I just like the idea of those two playing together in, in some second units. And it also, I think, portends well to if you get a better version of a Luke Cornette down the road, like a, like a four, like kind of a three and D four who gives you some length. Um, I, I think that's a really interesting and, and possibly the ideal archetype to play next to a Mitchell Robinson. Now, if you go to Zion Williamson, someone who does not fit that mold at all, but is, is just incredible. Like then it doesn't really matter as much, but if, if you want to talk about sort of more of a role guy in that kind of space, someone like Luke Cornette, but just a little bit better, a little bit more consistent could really be that piece uh, that being said, give Cornette some credit. Uh, also, shouts to uh, Henry Ellenson and John Jenkins. That duo combined to go uh, six for nine from the field, four of five from three-point range. You combined 18 points in um, 40 minutes between the two of them. 
Uh, nice effort, good shooting. Uh, both made this game, again, really fun to watch because the Knicks were really pinging the ball around and guys were hitting shots uh, with the exceptions of Knox, as we mentioned, not a great shooting night, and Dotson, who didn't shoot particularly well from the field. But all in all, a great effort from our Knicks and uh, even better effort from the fans because the Garden was basically treating this, I mean, with three games left, you almost have to, but the Garden was basically treating this like a playoff game which was just, it, it made me happy. It was, it was really, it was, it was cool. It was cool to see. I'll, I'll say that much. It was really, really special. And as, as so many people tweeted out, like you asked, like, why would a star want to go play for the Knicks when um, they don't have anything going for them? Like that's that environment. And you hear guys across the league say it time after time after time, like there's nothing like playing in the garden. It's special. And you can only, you can only imagine if if they if they had a superstar laden team, what kind of level that would go to. I can't remember who said it, but it was on some show last week. Someone saying like like you think it's big when like the Cowboys win. You think it's big when like the Heat like a few years ago had an absolutely loaded team. Like just wait. Like if the Knicks got a, got a basically um, a dream team, it's it would be its own thing. There there would be nothing like it in American sports. And I, I do buy into that to a degree. Just because you have you have this great fan base, this knowledgeable fan base, who far from being spoiled has been traumatized for two decades. You give you give that fan base the kind of love inherent in a team led by Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. It it'll be it'll be pretty cool. It'll be it'll be something special. I'm, I'm counting down the days as you can as you can kind of hear in my voice until July first. It's not not as far out as you think at this point. And uh, speaking of which, kind of a natural transition, um, The Athletic polled 109 players to find out um, where they uh, best guessed Kevin Durant will be playing next season. 63% of the 109 players said he will be a New York Nick next year. 20% said Golden State. Four and a half percent said Brooklyn. Um, just under 3% said the Clippers. And then there were a couple... Other assorted answers making up the final three percent, but uh, I don't know. That uh, it makes me uh, just a little more confident because we always talk about this like is it an open secret? Like and and again, I I always caution with the stuff like I think even if Durant has made a decision at this point, what happens in the NBA playoffs and his experience there and his his experience once he sits down with Rich Kleiman and maybe his family and maybe other advisors. And maybe his Golden State teammates at the end of the season. Like I think, I think he is malleable until he puts pen to pad. So I'll always, I'll always operate with that qualifier. But again, just another good sign in in a season full of them that Kevin Durant is very strongly considering becoming a New York Nick. And uh, as we finish up, we thank you for um, strongly considering uh, continuing to listen to this podcast. Uh, obviously, a little bit of a slog down the stretch. Games like this one help a lot. But we really appreciate you guys continuing to tune in. Um, I kind of I, I'm really excited about our offseason content because I think it's almost <laughs> just with with how tough the season has been at points. Um, I think in some ways it's almost in inherently like a little bit. Um, it's it's easier to be upbeat projecting forward than it is looking at what the current reality of this team is. So I'm really excited for you guys to uh, get to go through that with us. And I mean, for us to do reviews, but also looking forward, looking at draft picks and then kind of going through 
free agency and uh, talking through who the Knicks might get over the next couple of weeks. Before that, uh, still two more games this week to end the season um, against the Chicago Bulls and the Detroit Pistons uh, back-to-back on uh, Tuesday and Wednesday. And, and then we're, we're all done. We just got the offseason. So thanks again for tuning in. Hope you guys have a great day. Uh, Alex will be back with us next time. Until then, be well. Peace out.